parenting children, as many of you probably know, and my wife and I have the privilege of parenting eight of them. And so in parenting eight children, ranging now very soon from age 18 down to age nine, um, we are sitting in a complicated mess in many ways in an everyday world as well as just in the general big picture, right? Because with, uh, with human beings, uh, as children and as adults, but in the home of children, uh, each human being comes with its, with its own unique personality, right? Its own unique mix of things. Hasn't it always been funny to you how you, how you have several children and they couldn't be more different? And you're like, oh, I, I, I don't get it. I mean, they're supposed to be the same. They're supposed to think like me and act like me to make it easy, but they are exactly the opposite. And so in many ways, you have multiple personalities, and then among the multiple personalities, you have multiple ages. If you have a number of children, the ages expand even more. So that takes a very different strategy depending on age. Uh, then in the mix of that, you also have, uh, in, in cases like many of you in our context here at Mosaic, you of multiple cultures uh, represented in your home, like I do, so uh, they don't even come from the same cultural context. Uh, then you have multiple parenting because you didn't always get to parent them from zero onward if you stepped into the adoption, adoption world like we did. Uh, they have different gifts, beautiful gifts that all have a shadow side to them. And so they come with multiple dysfunctions, right? I mean, every one of us, beautiful gifts that go really badly when corruptible, right? And so, um, so you have this crazy mix. And so as I enter into this parenting mix with my wife, uh, in the journey over the last few years of trying to help the children understand what it is we want, right? W what would make a mature child? Like, you are mature, well done. And then with maturity and with, with wisdom comes freedom. So we say that in our home all the time. You want to live free, demonstrate maturity and wisdom, and we'll give you freedom. Until you do that, your only freedom are our boundaries because we are keeping you safe from your insanity and foolishness, right? And so, so the more bound you are is a result of the, the, the level of lack of maturity that you live with. And so we're trying to help our children understand what maturity is, how you live it. And then you start realizing, to try to help somebody understand what maturity is, there's like a thousand things on a list, isn't there? Because you can constantly, no, no it's not that, that's no, definitely not that. No, it's not that. Stop doing that. Don't do that. I feel like our home oftentimes is just a no, no, stop, stop, don't, no, stop, stop. And that's kind of how it goes. And, and in many ways, that's kind of how any place where a maturing journey takes place often feels. Like the church can feel that way, right? Hey, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And so in the process of our home, trying to figure out how I can help my children understand, guys, th this is what we're looking for. Th this is it. We want to try to simplify that down. We came up with this idea, right? At the end of the day, when all the complicated stuff that needs to happen at home is boiled down, here's what we figured out. Make it easy for your brothers and sisters by being kind with your words and actions. And respect and obey your mom and dad with your words and actions. Period. Do those two things and I don't even care about the other rules. I don't even care, just do those. Because the truth is, if you're gonna do those two things, uh, you're pretty much gonna have to follow most of the rules we have, right? 
make it easy for your brothers and sisters by being kind with your words and actions and, and respect your mom and dad with your words and actions. So I put a sheet. I, I actually have a sheet. I print it out in multiple colors with, with bold letters around words like respect and easy and things like that and kind and, and so that it would bounce off the page. And then I, 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 I tack them onto the walls in my kids' rooms. Bam. Now you can wake up in the morning. Boom. Make it easy. Make it easy. And then when they're in the car and they're in the middle of an insane deal where one's crawling past the other one and he you know, hits their toe and they stop it, and stop singing, and I don't want to. Then I can go like this, hey guys, guys make it easy for your brothers and sisters. Did that make it easy? Did that make it easy? No, it didn't make it easy. So make it easy. So you want to simplify things. Paul is writing to a complicated mess when he writes the letter of 1 Corinthians. He's writing to a church in a city called Corinth. The city of Corinth was an incredible city in the Roman Empire. It was probably one of the top five most prosperous cities in the Roman Empire, perhaps even as close as the second or third uh, next to Rome. And so it was the place to be, the place to go. It, it represented what in our cultural context might look like a, a Las Vegas, a place where you went to, where what happens there stays there. Don't worry about it. Anything goes. It's a place of quote unquote freedom, prosperity, position. This is where you can go and live the dream, make it happen. So people came to Corinth because they wanted to live that life. They wanted to have that dream. They wanted to be who they wanted to be. And so they came to Corinth. And as Paul went to Corinth on his second uh, church planting journey, coming down through Macedonia and then into Corinth, he planted a church there because he shared the gospel in Corinth and many responded to the beauty of the gospel. And so this church was born. Paul stayed there a long time to disciple this church because of its complexities and the culture in which it existed. This church existed, was born out of a culture that said that your value, what makes you important, comes from your prosperity, it comes from your position, it comes from your power, it comes from who you are, who you know, what you do, what you produce, what you bring to the table. So you can imagine in a culture where your value system is based on all of that, and now you have the gospel come that says, oh, settle down, give yourself away, lay down your rights, be there for others. That does not gel well. So Paul discipled a long time in Corinth. Then he went out to Ephesus, and then he, he remember he heard word, right? Things are going badly in the church. Why? Because the people in the church we're beginning to drift back to the functionality of the culture's information about what makes you valuable. They began to function again in saying, my position, my power and influence, my prosperity, who I know, what I do, who I am, what I have, these are the things that make me important in the system of the church. And so what we saw happen was great dissension in the church. Remember in the early part of 1 Corinthians, Paul had to talk about God's wisdom versus men's wisdom because the people of Corinth were going, look how wise I am. Look how smart I am. Look how much I know. I know more than you know. And so that was beginning to develop this, this dissension. I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. Paul's a jerk. Apollos is a jerk. This was going on. Oh, you, you don't read books by that author, do you? Oh, goodness. You need some maturing. I read such and such an author. See, this was going on a lot. And then out of that reality uh, was born all of these 
arrogant, sinful boastings. They began to boast out of their knowledge, their wisdom, who they followed. They began to, to say, look, we are more tolerant of all things than even the world is. They tolerated an anything goes policy to try to demonstrate how awesome they were and loving they were, even though that's not biblical love. Uh, they were, uh, had lawsuits up the wazoo against each other because if you stepped on my rights, then I had a right to take your rights because it's all about me ultimately, even into things like the table of communion. Uh, the, the wealthy would, would lay big tables and, the, and the, those who weren't as wealthy weren't allowed at the big tables, sometimes not even being able to take communion while others were getting drunk on the wine. It was a giant mess because of the dissension and the reality of this, of this sinful uh, uh, boasting that came out of the church of Corinth. And so Paul is writing to them, right? He's writing to them saying, guys, this has got to stop and this has got to stop and that can't happen and what do you think in there and why is this going on and you got to do that. And the whole time as an undernote, as an undercurrent, he's saying, remember what the gospel taught us? The gospel taught us that, that now that we're rescued by Christ, our identity is in Christ and we are fine. So we can, we have the privilege to lay ourselves down for the sake of others. This is what we do. This is our freedom. This freedom that you think you have by all this insanity, that's ridiculous. And so he's trying to do this, trying to do this. And then he gets into spiritual gifts. That's the context we're currently in in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, right? Because you know what the people were doing with spiritual gifts? I know it's gonna sound insane to you. They were taking the gifting they had and using it as a means to make themselves awesome. Isn't that awesome? Oh my goodness, what gift do you have? Hospitality, oh, I'm so sorry, so sorry. Is that the one where you like do the coffee bar stuff? Yeah, anybody could do that. You know what I do? I prophesy, baby. I prophesy! Can you do prophesy? No, you can't. That's what was going on in the church. And so the church was beginning to elevate certain gifts above others, calling certain things supernatural where others were natural, but they're not natural, they're given by God. That is supernatural in its very essence. They're all supernatural, but those who felt more natural. And so Paul was trying to write, like, oh, guys, guys, the gifts are not for you. They're not for you. They weren't given so you could be all awesome and cool. They were given to build up the church of Christ, the body of Christ, and make him beautiful. What are you thinking? And so Paul's writing about all of this. And then he gets to this part, right? He gets to this part where he's about to now go into, in the context of gifts, the, the ones that tend to elevate pride. He's gonna talk about prophecy in tongues that feel more supernatural than the others, Right? And Paul, right in the middle of unpacking spiritual gifts, I think Paul had this moment, where, like I had with my kids, where he's like, this isn't, this isn't gonna work. This is too complicated. I, I, I gotta boil this down for these people so they understand what I'm trying to say. And so he stops in the middle of the gifts unpack, right before tongues and prophecy, and he puts this, this paragraph in there about something far bigger than prophecy and tongues and gifts and anything else he's talked about up to now. And he actually says, hold, pause everybody. Here's what I'm trying to say. You wanna know what the most excellent way is? What should mark us all? Here's what it is. And that's what we're about to read. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, page 663, if you're using one of the Bibles we provide. On the way in, if you're using a smart device or one of your own Bibles, then go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
Now, before we jump into the first verse of chapter 13, let's look at the last verse of chapter 12, because this is where Paul pushes the pause button on spiritual gifts and goes, before I go into the complicated ones of tongues and prophecy, let me just establish foundation again for you. Look at this. He's just said in verse 30, do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts. He's kind of saying, we don't all have the same gifts that for the body. And then he, look at this, look at this beautiful little sentence. And I will show you a still more excellent way. See, what Paul's about to do is say to us, look, these are cool. Uh, People in the regular world are gonna look at our spiritual gifts, especially some of the ones that on this planet feel a little more supernatural than others, even though they're all supernatural, and they're gonna be pretty, pretty odd. They're gonna go, well, that's super cool, but that'll fade quickly. I wanna show you a more excellent way. And then look what Paul does, look at this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, ooh, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. So isn't it interesting to you that Paul starts out with the idea of speaking in supernatural languages, right? If I speak in these tongues of men and angels, I can speak all languages and I can speak even to the angels. If that's what I can do and I don't have love, then that is useless. Now, is speaking in the tongues of men and angels a pretty awesome thing? Yeah. Would that be helpful in advancing the kingdom? Yes. Is that something we have just heard is actually possible among the gifts? Yep. So you you got this thing where it's like he's saying, look, this is a godly thing. This is a good thing. This is not the problem. But if you do this thing without love being the foundation of it, and it is for a self-purpose of any kind, then it is useless, in fact, Worse than useless. Have you ever stood in a room with a sounding gong? Going, going. See, this is not like it's just a sounding gong. Uh, have you ever had people buy your children toys that make noises? <laughs> God help those people. I mean, ha- have, have you done it when you have eight kids? Can you imagine? You walk in through your house and then bzzz, I've got this stupid monkey in my house. I think it's dead now. It has a parachute. And you throw it off a balcony or off the stairs. And you know what it does as it comes down? It screams like a monkey. And I'm telling you, when I hear that thing, it is like this, ah, and you want to die. So what Paul is saying is this, when you use the powerful, wonderful things given by God to us for his glory, and you use them without love, they are like a flying monkey screaming at you every night. You understand what I'm saying? That is not good. That is a horrid picture. And if I have prophetic powers, oh, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Notice that Paul is very carefully here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, making sure that he's not saying that having that kind of faith isn't awesome. He's not saying if I have that faith, it is nothing. Or if I have the ability to know things and prophesy, it is nothing. He says, 
if I have these unbelievable, awesome things that are part of the spiritual gifting, right? Faith is one of the spiritual gifts. Prophecy is one of the spiritual gifts. Tongues is one of the spiritual gifts. If I have these things, but I don't have love, I do not know the reality of Christ, and it does not bleed through the way I live, then these things are fine, but I'm not. See what he's saying? Then you are nothing, he says. You are a useless part of the story if love isn't what is binding the reality of the gifting I've given you. Look at what he says here. If I give away all I have, oh, what a wonderful thing to do. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. See what Paul's just done? He has said there is a space in our human experience where we could do incredible things, but we are doing them for self-gratification, for self-glorification, for some version of filling the void of self. If I serve my heart out, but I'm doing it because it makes me feel good about me, or it makes me feel fulfilled in some way, and that's my motive, then it is a useless experience. I gain nothing, he says. I gain nothing. Is it good to sell everything you have for the sake of the poor? Yeah, that'd be awesome. It, would it be good to, under the right circumstances, be burned as a martyr? Yes. I mean, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but has that not shaped the kingdom of God over the years? Has it not demonstrated great faith? Has it not spurred entire revivals and entire nations? It has. But he goes, look, if you, if you do those, even that level, even that level, and it's not coming out of love, then, then it, is, it is of no use to you. You gain nothing. See, what, what, what Paul is doing here is he's saying, listen, <clears throat> love is the very essence, the very simplicity of what sets all of this up. Love is what drives what we have, who, who we know, what we are, what we produce. It must be driven by the wondrous mercy of God that we've discovered in the gospel and out of the mercies of God, we present ourselves as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing, so that that becomes our spiritual act of worship. He's saying, man, when you have love, these other things are incredible. But when you don't have love, they are useless. Even they, even they. Isn't it amazing that Paul was writing this list in the context of the first of the church in Corinth, right? And he's using spiritual gifts as the list of, if you have this and you have this. See, it's not random. So when we're dealing with spiritual gifts, you find lots of pride in those. If you have them and you don't love, then you're nothing. So the next question would, the obvious question would be like, okay, Paul, that's great. What is love? What is love? I mean, if you don't love, if I don't hug everybody, is that what I gotta do? Run around and hug people? And then I can do my spiritual gifts and be fine? No, 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 Paul said, listen, listen. I understand love is a very large term. Let me boil it down for you so you understand generally what I'm talking about here. Love is complicated, but here it is. Here it is in simplicity. Verse four. See, folks, love is patient. Love is patient. It's long-suffering. It's another beautiful word, isn't it? I, 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 I like the word long-suffering more than patience because it describes patience better, doesn't it? Patience sounds so easy, so fun. I'm patient. Uh, I'm long in suffering. Yeah, baby. That's the word we need for patience. So you know when you're being patient because you're suffering long. 
I'm still suffering because of you. That's patience, baby. <laughs> Love is patient and it's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way and it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. I want to stop there before we read the next line because listen to me. When you read this randomly like we often do off of a poster or we're like, oh, what's that love chapter again? I think it's 1 Corinthians 13. That would be a great wedding chapter. Let's read that one. Love is this and that. You don't understand the beauty of Paul's context here, right? Who's Paul talking to? He's talking to the Corinthians who are in a cultural context where boasting and, and, and the, the elevation of self is the way you are uh, valuable in this culture. Does it sound familiar to you? I've said to you many times, we are the, the Corinthian culture. And so here's what he's saying. I'm gonna describe love for you. I could describe it a million ways, but I'm gonna describe it specific to your context. To say, okay, here's what it's definitely not. Are you, are you suing each other all the time? Remember that lawsuit thing? Well, it's, it's, it's not something that constantly tries to get what it wants and be right. Or are you boasting and arrogant about who you are? Love is not that. It's not that. L -l Listen to this. It's, it's so beautiful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Remember, Paul wrote an entire section of this letter about not tolerating wrongdoing in the church because it is not good for the church. It is not good for the person doing the wrong. It is not good for the gospel. It is not good for the glory of God. And it is not good for anyone. When we are tolerant of foolishness, we are foolish. When we judge sin, we are foolish. But when we gently come alongside our brothers and sisters and don't tolerate their foolishness for, wait for it, their sake, then it's beautiful. And so Paul's like, remember, love doesn't just tolerate wrongdoing. Love is not you living in a situation, in a relationship that is abusive in some way and saying, God's calling me just to long-suffer and love this person by tolerating it all the time. No, 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 no. Love says it's not good for you to be abusive. So I'm going to reveal that to the right people so we can get you healed up so that I don't have to live under your abuse and you don't have to be abuser anymore. See what I'm saying? We have these crazy ideas about what love is, that it's total tolerance. No, it's not. That it's intolerance. No, it's not. It's bearing the weight of one another without tolerating the foolishness of one another ongoingly so that it continues to be bad for them, for you, and for the kingdom of God. See what I'm saying? It's this beautiful tension in between. Love is you looking out and saying, what is not best for me, what is best for them? What is best for the kingdom of God? Look, it, he summarizes it here, verse seven. Love bears what? All things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Now again, don't get confused here. Love believes all things. I, 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 th I think my child is lying to me, but love believes all things. So I believe my child. No, 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 no. I, I, I start with unbelief with my children. I'm just gonna assume you're lying and then we'll see if it turns out to be true, right? It's probably not the best way to live, but I've, I've learned, right? So 
I'm just kidding, my kids are good, some of them are, are liars, but some, some <laughs> are not as much, okay? So here's the deal, right? To believe all things is not about believing what a person is saying to you, it is about believing something bigger for that person than is in front of you right now. How many times have you given up on someone's progress? You've given up on someone's redemption. You've given up on someone becoming more than they currently are. And he says, no, 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 love always believes more than that. Always looks at any human being in any status, in any category, and says, I still believe the redemptive work of Jesus can do more in you than it's doing now, than, than you are now. To believe is to have hope, and love always hopes. It always assumes this, that the God of the universe who promised he would redeem all things to himself will redeem all things to himself. The God of the universe who said he will finish the work he began in every person's story will finish the work he began in every person's story. So I can always believe in what God is going to do in anyone despite what I see in front of me. I don't give up on those around me. I believe for them. That's what love is. So he's saying, look, you look around you and you, you give the benefit of the doubt. You believe things that don't seem believable. You have hope in things that don't seem hopeful. Because love is born out of a place where you have come to conclude that the creator and sustainer of the universe has loved you so much that your soul is rescued your future is redeemed, your purpose is restored, and you can now, as a privilege, love with his love at that level. So what is love? What is this bearing all things? What is this hoping all things, believing all things, enduring all things? What is that? It is, it is simply this. You live on planet Earth. It's a deadly place full of death. It doesn't feel great half the time. There's beauty in it because God is gracious, but let's face it, it's a vulnerable, scary place to live, and you have lots to fear unless you know the story of God. Then you have nothing to fear anymore, and the bad stuff that comes with planet Earth gives you the space to love extraordinarily because you can what? Endure all things, bear all things. You can hope in all things, and you believe God in all things. And that's what will make you and I transcend anything that the world will ever know to be possible. See, our love for one another, our love for the world, that's what Paul's saying, this is the most excellent way. This is what is going to last. This is what is going to mark you. This is what is gonna make you powerful. Not your gifts, not your knowledge, not your wisdom not your doctrine or your theology. Are those things important? Yes, very. But they will never mark you. They will fade into history. But your love, your biblical godly love for one another, this is what will mark you. And what is love? Love is taking yourself, setting it aside, and always thinking in every moment what is going to honor God most, make the gospel beautiful, and what is gonna make it easy for my brothers and sisters? <gasps> Wait, that sounds familiar. <laughs> Respect and obey God with our words and actions and make it easy for our brothers and sisters by being kind with our words and actions. Oh my gosh, I think, I think 1 Corinthians 13 just said that. 
See, isn't it so simple? If you walk out of here, if I walk out of here and I go today, I'm gonna ask myself, does what I'm about to say or do respect and honor God and obey him? And does it make things easier for my brothers and sisters by being kind with my words and actions than I am living outside of these things that he said are not love? I'm not arrogant, I'm not boastful, I'm not envious. I'm not rude, I don't insist on my own way, I'm not irritable or, or resentful, I, I do not rejoice in wrongdoing. See, you can't do those things and make it easy for your brothers and sisters. You can't do those things and honor and respect God and obey him. And so it's, it becomes very simple. Now, now watch what Paul's gonna do. He's gonna say, listen folks, I wanna show you the power of love and why love is what must mark us, right? Not, not gifting not wisdom, not prophecy, not tongues, not knowledge, not faith that moves mountains, right? I've seen plenty of that on this planet and half of it was false, right? Comes and goes, but but watch this, look what he says. Love never ends, verse eight. Love never ends, you see. It will always mark us, it will always be with us. As for prophecies, they will pass away. Guys, we won't need them at some point. We won't need prophecy because it'll be hanging out with God, talking directly to him. That won't be prophecy. That'll just be God telling us what's up, right? So that'll be awesome. We, we, won't need, we won't need truth to be revealed because we will be with God as it was in the beginning in the paradise of Garden of Eden and we will know truth without sin and falsehood. We won't need someone clarifying that we're confused and foolish because we won't be confused and foolish. As for tongues, they will cease. Why? At some point, we're all gonna talk the same deal, right? I mean, at some point when this planet's gone and the new one's here and the new heaven is here and we're together, it's not gonna be like, oh, shoot, I, I don't understand you. I, I don't get what you're saying. What language do you speak? We're gonna, we're gonna be unified in our beautiful relationship with each other. We won't need tongues because we won't need to be trying to communicate weirdly with each other. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Even men and women will understand each other. It's gonna be unbelievable. Um, Did I just say that? For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. That's us right now, by the way. I thought like a child, that's us right now. Hence needing clarification through prophecy and truth and tongues and all that, right? We, we think like children still. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. See, what he's saying is, listen, this is crazy. Prophecy, tongues, uh, knowledge, wisdom, these things, we need them because we're children. You understand what I'm saying? We need them because we're still childlike. But at some point, we are going to leave this planet and we are going to not be like children, but we are going to be fully intimate with God and we will no longer need childish things. So what he's actually saying is this. Love is not childish. It will always be with us. It will always mark us. But prophecy and tongues and, and, and the, the faith that's like, I have more faith than you kind of faith, all that stuff, all that stuff is childish stuff. We need it right now, but we won't need it in the future. So it's good now, it's not bad stuff. It just don't let that become what marks you. Don't let that become what makes you who you are. Don't let that become what the world thinks of you. Look at this. You see he says, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, 
even as I have been fully known. This is our future. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Is love. What kind of love? The cultural kind? The the tolerate everything kind? The tolerate nothing kind? The romantic kind? I mean, all those things are part and parcel of this emotion we have. But no, no, the love we're talking about here is this. The I choose to make the gospel beautiful and be redemptive for those around me kind before I choose for myself what I need. That's the kind. It's saying I choose to make the gospel beautiful, that is honor Christ and be redemptive to those around me, that is love my brothers and sisters and my fellow human beings. And sometimes I need to love you in a firm kind of a way because you're acting foolish and I'm not gonna be tolerant of that. But not because I'm judgmental, but because I love you. And your foolishness leads to bondage, which is not freedom, which is the opposite of what Christ did for us. It is for freedom, Galatians 5.1, that I have set you free. So do not live under the slavery of your old ways. I'm gonna try to help you with that. You're gonna try to help me with that. It's good. And we're gonna love. Remember what Jesus said? Remember this? When he was asked, what is, Jesus, come on, boil it down for me, buddy. What is the greatest command on planet Earth? I mean, you got a lot of the whole entire Old Testament full of them. What's the big one? Jesus said, all the commands, all the the prophecies, everything can hang on, on this one idea, this single thought. Love God with everything you have. Give yourself a way to love God, to make the gospel beautiful. And love the people around you. Love them, whatever that requires. Do what's best for them. Do what's good for them. Do what's right for them. Even if it's gonna cost you. Sometimes being firm costs you relationship. Sometimes uh, being uh, bearing somebody's insanity costs you some suffering, some patience, long-suffering. But, but do that. See, that's what Jesus said. That, that's what I want you to do. It was Jesus slapping the piece of paper on the wall. Okay, honor mom and dad with your words and actions. Make it easy for the others by being kind with your words and actions. And then what did Jesus say later on when he was with the disciples the very last night, right? Big deal, last night. This is where you lay down the the real stuff. Like, okay, if you remember nothing else, remember this. Closer. They, the world that so desperately needs me, Jesus said, they will know you follow me by the way that you make it easy for each other. By the way you love each other. By the way, you don't tolerate foolishness in each other, but gently lead each other into wisdom. By the way, you bear one another's foolishness while it's happening. By the way, you care for each other. By the way, you lay yourself down for each other. By the way, you make it easy for each other, and then the gospel will be made beautiful. When you gossip about someone, do you make it easy for them? Nah. When you judge them, do you make it easy for them? No. When you are arrogant or prideful, do you make it easy for them? When you are intolerant of wrongness and you want to be right, do you make it easy for them? When we fight, do we make it easy for them? When we want what we want because we have the right to it, do we make it easy for them? No. I'm constantly aware as much as my children desperately need to be disciplined into a free life, their dad desperately needs to learn not to provoke them. Because boy, I could provoke those kids. I see the one little thing go wrong. I'm like, attitude. But the, the fault is here. You see, I don't make it easy for them. They don't make it easy for me. It doesn't go well. But when I start making it easy for them, and they start making it easy for me, 
what happens in our home. It's beautiful. And people go, wow, how, how does that happen? This is the way that we will be marked. This is the way we will be known when we love, when we love. And then prophecy and tongues and faith and all these other cool things, hospitality and administration and every other awesome supernatural gift given to us will be awesome if they are marked by love. And if they're not, they will be a screaming monkey to the world and to us. God, help us if that happens. Let's pray. God, we're just, uh, we're just so grateful that you saw fit to simplify for us in such beauty this, um, this calling that you've placed on our lives. After you've rescued our souls, redeemed our future, and restored our purpose, that you would call us into a life of this magnitude of privilege that we get to, in our restored purpose, share in being redemptive on your behalf as ambassadors of Christ. God, this is unthinkable to us. We are not worthy of that. We are not capable of that. We, we don't have what it takes. We are, we are children that like to fight. And yet, God, here you are saying, I know, I, I know, but, but I am going to finish you into maturity. And so I'm gonna ask you to continue to strive after love. God, thank you that you don't demand love from us today in perfection, otherwise you smack us upside the head, but that you're just calling us, inviting us into this beautiful journey of pursuing this active love, pursuing a daily view of life by saying, God, what will honor you most right now and what will make it easiest for those around me? What will be best for them what will make it easiest for them right now? Or what do I need to do right now that will be hard for them that will make it easy for them in the future? God, thank you that you've given us such clarity. Right in the middle of spiritual gifts that can often become such a divisive, arrogant thing in the church. Thank you for your love for us. And that out of that we can love now redemptively, beautifully, as you've created us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.